Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. The CIA's spying operation against Julian Assange was revealed publicly last year. But now an explosive new report from the Gray Zone's Max Blumenthal fills in critical new details. The report is called The American Friends New Court Files Expose Sheldon Adelson's Security Team in U.S. Spy Operation Against Julian Assange. Max Blumenthal joins me now, editor of The Gray Zone and author of The Management of Savagery. Max, let's start with the title. How does Sheldon Adelson's security team become involved in this spying operation against Assange? Well, this is a uh, complicated story. I was working with uh, files that have been basically company files of a Spanish mercenary firm that were um, exposed or revealed in a Spanish high court case, uh, which I'll describe in a second, along with uh, witness testimony, testimony by protected witnesses who worked for the company who are involved in this operation, uh, interviews with people who were spied on, and uh, a lot of research. And it took me um, a lot of time to work my way through this uh, and put together a really um, cohesive story uh, so I'll try to do my best um, to describe to viewers and listeners um, as clearly as possible what took place. Um, the story begins actually before Donald Trump was in office sometime in 2016, either July or February, uh, when a Spanish security consultant who runs a small-time mercenary firm in southern Spain in Jerez uh, named David Morales who imagined himself as you know, the next Eric Prince and wanted to establish a global army for hire that could leverage political connections into sort of international power. Um, he heads off to a security fair in Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas is where all the conventions are held. Um, it, they're often held at the Sands Expo, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson. Um, Morales at the time had really uh, two significant contracts. He had one to guard the children of the leftist Ecuadorian president, Rafael Correa, and that basically turned into a contract to guard the embassy in London of Ecuador, which was sort of an important contract. The reason he got it was simply because the Ecuadorians couldn't send their own Sinaiin intelligence services over there because it was tough to get visas in the EU. So they had an EU contractor already on their tab. So they just folded it into this contract. Morales gets the contract in London. And it's significant because one of the top targets of the US government is um, taking asylum in that embassy, Julian Assange, the publisher of WikiLeaks, who is now in prison for basically humiliating the US empire. So Morales heads off to the security fair in 2016, touting the fact that he is guarding the top target, one of the top targets of the US government. And he meets someone named Zohar Lahav. This has never been reported before, so this is completely exclusive to my investigation. Zohar Lahav is one of the Israeli bodyguards that Sheldon Adelson, the ultra-Zionist Republican mega donor, has surrounded himself with. He actually leads Adelson's executive protection team. And Zohar Lahav personally recruits Morales and assigns him with a contract to guard Adelson's $70 million yacht, the Queen Miri, named after Adelson's wife Miriam, 
uh, that you know sails around the Adriatic Sea and goes to Ibiza and places like that. The thing is that Adelson already had a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week massive security team to guard him and his children. So why did Morales need that contract? Well, Morales returns to Jerez to UC Global headquarters, the headquarters of his mercenary firm, and he starts bragging to his employees, from now on, we're going to be playing in the first division, which is, you know, soccer lingo for playing in the big leagues. He was starting to, um, you know, fulfill his fantasy of becoming Eric Prince. And how was that possible? How do you get to play in the first division? Because according to a former business partner and a former employee uh, who testified in this Spanish court case, um, the contract with Las Vegas Sands that Zohar Lahav, the body man of Adelson, helped uh, kind of negotiate was basically just a cover for a CIA spying operation. So the cameras, everything at the embassy that was basically CCTV that was designed to detect intruders um, actually was going to be turned inside out by Morales, who whose contract was supposed to be with the Ecuadorian Senaín, their intelligence and security service. But he was going to subvert his contract, lie to his employers, actually spy on them and Ecuadorian diplomats, including Rafael Correa, who the U.S. wanted to target because he was, you know, part of the Pink Tide, and basically turn those cameras into weapons of intrusion that the U.S. could control. Um, and I, you know, I'll describe some of the things that took place between the beginning of this contract and the end of it. But basically, this all began when Donald Trump was elected and when Mike Pompeo became the director of the CIA under Donald Trump. And both Trump and Pompeo are close allies of Adelson. Adelson poured his money into getting Donald Trump elected because he, he, he saw Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, as the perfect avenue to realize the deal of the century in Palestine. I don't think he cared much about Julian Assange. But Pompeo is there as well. And Pompeo proceeds to identify Assange as the top target of his CIA in his first address as CIA director in April 2017. And he calls for a long-term campaign of countermeasures against Assange and WikiLeaks. We have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free speech values against us. To give them the space to crush us with misappropriated secrets is a perversion of what our great constitution stands for. It ends now. So basically, the reason that I'm able to tell this story um, is because after Assange was imprisoned in April 2019, several disgruntled former employees of UC Global, the Spanish mercenary firm that was apparently contracted by the CIA through Las Vegas Sands, run by you know this close, close Trump ally, Sheldon Adelson, they approached uh, Assange's legal team to tell him that they participated in massive misconduct of what they considered to be criminal activities, um, you know, possible like robberies, just things that even went beyond spying. Um, one former business partner said they came forward after realizing, in their words, that David Morales, the CEO, decided to sell all the information to the enemy, the U.S. 
Um, so they filed a, a criminal complaint in Spanish court and a Spanish judge enacted a secret operation that resulted in the arrest of David Morales, I believe in September 2019. And he was charged the following month, October, with violating Assange's privacy, abusing attorney-client privileges because he was spying on Assange's meetings with his lawyers, money laundering, bribery, and all of these documents were revealed in court, which were company backups from company computers that the employees and former business partner had created, along with, you know, I've, I've obtained Morales's calling records, um, IP addresses where he emailed that showed his travel to a hotel, the Grand Hyatt, just a few blocks from the White House, a hotel in Alexandria, Virginia, just two days after WikiLeaks released its Vault 7 CIA files, and then in Las Vegas at Adelson's Venetian Hotel uh, when the operation really kicked into high gear in December 2017. Morales said to his employees, we are working for the dark side now. And what I reveal in this piece is the disturbing form that those activities took. Well, one of the most uh, important ones that I learned from your piece is that the uh, is that Morales, uh, through his handlers at the CIA and at uh, Sheldon Adelson's company, got a surveillance system installed inside the Ecuadorian embassy that allowed the U.S. to monitor Assange directly. Can you explain to us how that happened? Yeah, I mean this, and this has been. I mean, reported in bits and pieces before, um, particularly by El País, the um, center-left Spanish daily. Um, I don't. They didn't go into as much detail about the role of Adelson in Las Vegas Sands, and so what I was able to do was actually um, reveal some of the documents, which to me clearly highlight a CIA role, and I was able to get fairly close to identifying one of the security team members on Adelson's staff who would have been able to provide such instructions. Um, in, in the, the background here is December 2017. This is a really critical month for American intelligence targeting Julian Assange uh, because Julian Assange and his team were working out a scenario or a strategy with Ecuadorian diplomats to provide Julian Assange with diplomatic immunity, which would have allowed him under the Vienna Conventions to leave the embassy and become a diplomat for a friendly country um, like Serbia, uh, Bolivia, Venezuela, one of the countries that was friendly with Ecuador, which would have supported such an initiative. And they're working it out inside the embassy. Um, but they didn't, and, and Julian Assange was very well aware he was being spied on. They didn't know the extent of it. They were having sensitive meetings in the women's bathroom in the embassy or in the conference room beneath a white noise machine, um, you know, and they'd turn on the faucets in the women's bathroom to conceal the sound of their conversation. But one thing that, and this has been previously reported, one thing that um, the UC Global spies did was place a magnetic microphone under the fire extinguisher in the conference room, which allowed them to listen beneath the white noise. But what they also did 
was they created separate servers on the camera system, which allowed the Americans to control the cameras, to establish a feed, um, you know, when the camera footage, uh, when, the, when the file size was too large, Morales would personally travel to the US and deliver it to what he called the American friends or the American client. Um, he would just deliver, hand deliver a DVR. But these instructions came down in December 2017 from Morales to his employees at the embassy. And I have the emails that he sent, which were sent from a static IP address at Las Vegas Sands Venetian Hotel. And he sent a PowerPoint presentation to his employees on creating the separate server and separate feed to deceive the Ecuadorians, who they were supposed to be protecting, on behalf of the more powerful client who helped them play in the first division, the Americans. And this PowerPoint presentation was written in perfect English. It was written by someone who was clearly an expert in not just cybersecurity, but hacking. And that really leads to the uh, director of global security for Las Vegas Sands, whose name is Brian Nagel. Brian Nagel is someone who actually interfaced for years with US intelligence and federal law enforcement, the FBI, he helped set up the cyber crime divisions that brought together all of these different agencies and private contractors while he served as assistant um, director of US Secret Service. And he was actually given a, um, C a CIA Medal of Distinction for his work. This is a medal that non-agency employees receive uh, for contributing to U.S. intelligence efforts. These agencies that Nagel set up um, all the way up till 2008, at a time when, you know, the internet was still fairly new, as was cybercrime, two years later when WikiLeaks went online, these are the agencies and the outfits that would have been on the front lines of the U.S. effort to take down WikiLeaks. So there you have Brian Nagel, operating right under the watch of Adelson, a close ally of the Trump administration, who has CIA ties, ties to federal law enforcement, who has the ability, um, and you know, I laid out his record of participating in operations where um, these law enforcement agencies would actually hack the hackers or they would hack uh, cybercrime syndicates. So he had the, the ability to do hacking. Um, it, it appears that someone like Brian Nagel probably on behalf of US intelligence, provided these instructions to UC Global. And it just makes it very clear how uh, the CIA and US intelligence was the guiding hand behind this illegal operation. Now this went even further than just spying. I mean, they were spying on, with, with cameras, they spied on everyone from you know, Pam Anderson, the Canadian-American actress who is a friend of an advocate for Julian Assange. They spied on Randy Credico, who is an activist, comedian, and friend of Assange. They spied on journalists from the Washington Post, New York Times. They spied on Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept. They spied on um, a who's who of visitors, but particularly his legal team as they were conceiving this strategy. Now, as, this, as it became closer, to D-Day, the date of the execution of this strategy, uh, Romy Vallejo, who was the director of Ecuador's Senaín, visited the embassy to put the plan's final details in place. 
And Morales ordered that Vallejo's phone be opened. They stole his SIM card number in the phone. They took everything they needed in order to hack into his phone, as they had been doing to other guests. I mean, they stole Pam Anderson's Gmail password by photographing it when she wrote it on a piece of paper. Um, they took Stefania Morizzi's phone and apparently hacked into it. This is the Italian journalist. So Vallejo's phone, the director of Ecuadorian intelligence, is opened by UC Global spies, apparently on behalf of US intelligence. The next day, the next day after his information is apparently invaded, that's when federal prosecutors in Virginia introduce or, or, or author the secret indictment of Julian Assange under the Espionage Act. So it was obviously related to this plan I don't know if anyone's ever reported that before, noted the chronology here. Um, more shockingly, one person who is involved at every step of the way in conceiving this plan to get Assange diplomatic immunity under the Vienna Convention told me that an Ecuadorian diplomat, lip diplomat who was also a participant in the plan, returned to Quito and was robbed in an official government car of his laptop, which contained details of the plan, by um, uh, masked gunmen on a motorcycle. They didn't take anything else. They just took the computer and drove off. And I also learned that Todd Chapman, who was then the US ambassador to Ecuador, a very hardline figure, um, he warned Ecuador's government not to execute this plan. And they you know, they were kind of like, how did he, how could he possibly have known this? So I think that across U.S. government, there was an awareness, at least with all the elements who knew about this plan, operating directly under the watch of Pompeo, um, that a broad campaign of not just spying, but dirty tricks, subterfuge, and even armed robbery um, would be enacted in order to take down Assange. And it really shows what he was up against and how vicious this campaign was. I haven't even um, you know, laid out all of the evidence of robbery and burglary that I learned about when reporting this piece, but that was just one piece and it hasn't, I don't think that's been reported before either. So just to underscore a few points, you think that the timing of the indictment against Assange uh, under the Espionage Act, you think that was directly related to an effort by the US to kill this plan by Ecuador to get Assange out of the embassy and grant him diplomatic diplomatic immunity elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it just stresses, the, it stressed the, I mean, look at the timing. It was the day after the intelligence director was spied on as he visited to discuss the final component of the plan. So the timing says it all, but it also just stresses the urgency and the obsession of the Americans with arresting Assange and the amount of pressure they were applying to the point where, where they were spying on Ecuadorian diplomats. And they were also, you know, spying on the ex-president, Rafael Correa, at his home. I mean, right on my browser right here, I have a file you see Global created. And it's, it's it, I mean, these files contain intimate details on everyone they knew. I mean, they're spying not just on Correa, but, you know, people he works with in media and his family members. It's, ab it's completely invasive and criminal. And going back to what you discussed earlier, this slideshow PowerPoint presentation 
that UC Global employees were given by Morales that was emailed by Morales from Assange's property. And it's in, written in perfect English. And Morales himself, his native language is Spanish and his English is far from perfect, right? So it's very unlikely yeah. that this came from him. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, that, that's important to emphasize. There's no way that David Morales wrote this PowerPoint presentation. And actually when he wrote to his employees about it, he said it's written in English, um, you know, basically the American client wants us to do this. Um, at, around that time, he was also emailing target lists of people that they should pay special attention to. Uh, one of them was Stella Morris. Stella Morris has since um, revealed herself to be the mother of Julian Assange's two children. And um, Morales said, uh, we need someone to pay, to be completely dedicated to Stella Morris. They were obsessed with her for, for some reason. What they wanted to do was prove that these children that were being brought to the embassy by a friend of Assange um, were actually her children. Um, and so what they did was first assign a guy who is an IT director. This is, you know, he, this is someone who testified in court uh, to steal the diapers of this child, to fish them out of embassy trash cans. Um, the guy was just, you know, completely bugged out by this assignment. Um, he then learned that, you know, you can't get DNA from the feces of the diapers. So, um, you know, the next assignment was to get a pacifier from the child somehow. Uh, he was never assigned to get anything from Assange DNA related, which suggested they already had it. Um, but the uh, employee of UC Global eventually confronted Stella Morris outside the embassy and said, stop bringing the kid. They're trying to, uh, you know, connect the kid to Julian Assange. Um, later, Morales proposed uh, an assassination plot or possibly leaving the door of the embassy open and then allowing men to come in and kidnap Assange. And that's when, you know, I think a lot of the UC Global employees started to really uh, turn against Morales in a way they hadn't before, because in their words, he was taking such a dangerous direction. Um, another target that Morales laid out, and these are obviously U.S. intelligence targets. Morales is someone who proclaimed to his employees, I am a wholehearted mercenary. I don't think he had any ideological skin in the game here. So this is coming from U.S. intelligence. Another one was Ola Bini, who was a sort of cyber activist and a software developer based in Ecuador who had been, he's a Swedish citizen who had been visiting Assange. And on the day Assange was arrested, April 11th, Ola Bini was arrested in Ecuador. And the FBI has since sought to interrogate him. We've done a lot of work about him at the Gray Zone. Dennis Rogatuk has done some articles for us if you want background on Ola Bini. But I mean, the day of Assange was arrested, a person who Morales was ordered to target was arrested as well. And it's a completely trumped up indictment. Um, and he's been held, he was held for months without any due process. Uh, Amnesty International has even spoken out against it. So what you see in a lot of these files are the makings of a wider global campaign of repression um, carried out by you know, the stooge government of the U.S. in Quito now, the government of Lenin Moreno. Um, these are really fascinating details that I found. You also uh, 
note that this is not the first time that Sheldon Adelson has been tied to the CIA. There have been allegations that his casino in Macau is basically used as a front for U.S. intelligence. Yeah. Um, again, this was I don't know why no one has connected this before, because it was reported in The Guardian. Um, there was this um, and, and in a few other publications years ago. But there was a private intelligence report uh, created in 2010 by the uh, gambling and casino industry about uh, troubling activities being carried out by Las Vegas Sands and Macau inside the People's Republic of China. Um, this was, by the way, two years after Brian Nagel became global security director of Las Vegas Sands. And according to this document, um, a reliable source has reported that central Chinese government officials firmly believe that SANS has permitted CIA FBI agents to operate from within its facilities. These agencies apparently monitor mainline government officials who gamble in the casinos. So basically what they were doing was using Las Vegas SANS as a front to spy on Chinese officials who were com coming and um, gambling and losing large sums of money, which was embarrassing, then blackmailing them into becoming U.S. informants to therefore to thereby spy on the Chinese government for the CIA. Um, kind of a classic blackmail operation. And when Las Vegas Sands was confronted about this in 2015 by reporters, their spokesman said, you know, it's an idea for a movie script, which is a non-denial denial. I mean, they didn't really deny it. But what they were going to do the following year in 2016, apparently with the CIA, I mean, this is, you know, blockbuster spy thriller material. And that's really what provides the content for this piece. So, yeah, they have a Las Vegas Sands has apparently a longstanding relationship with the CIA. So Assange right now is fighting his extradition to the U.S., uh, you note in one more instance of a Adelson connection here that an attorney for his company tried to gain access to a recent hearing in Assange's case. That's what I was told uh, by um, observers of the hearing that took place earlier this year, the extradition hearing in London uh, next to the Belmarsh prison where Assange was held that a well-known barrister, female barrister, attempted to gain entry, uh, claiming she was representing Las Vegas Sands. Um, I also learned through, um, you know, uh, witness testimony that Zohar Lahav, who was uh, the director of uh, Adelson's executive security team, who personally recruited Morales, who became a very close friend of him, uh, who basically was managing the relationship on a day-to-day -day basis has been fired by Las Vegas Sands, uh, which suggests embarrassment and concern on the part of Sheldon Adelson about this whole operation. Um, and it really makes you wonder about the level of uh, Adelson's participation uh, or his investment in it. I mean, we know what really motivates Sheldon Adelson. It's, there's no secret about that. Number one, any anything that can help him expand his gambling act activities around the world to increase his fortune. And number two, Israel. He is the leading ultra-Zionist billionaire guiding the Trump administration's policies on Israel, Palestine, and Iran. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's that ideologically invested in taking down Assange. So 
This has a lot to do uh, with the Trump administration, with Mike Pompeo, and you know, with Adelson sort of um, playing a kind of classic role of that um, billionaires, politically invested billionaires play around the world where they sort of serve as third party or cutouts for the CIA and then receive sort of favorable treatment when they try to expand their empire. So we're going to wrap soon, but let's talk a bit about the media's response to all this. I mean, this from you, Max, is a huge expose. You have all these new details of how the CIA spied on and harassed Julian Assange, attorneys, lawyers, Ecuadorian uh, consular yeah, officials. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I should mention that, the, uh, that they also spied on U.S. Representative Dana Rohrabacher, um, who had gone to the embassy um, to offer a pardon to Julian Assange on the grounds that he would uh, prove that the that Russian intelligence did not hack into the DNC email server in 2016. But the point is that it looks very clearly like the UC Global, on behalf of the CIA, spied on a U.S. representative who, according to Assange's lawyer, Jennifer Robinson, announced himself as an emissary of the president, Donald Trump. I mean, so the level of spying is just... There, there, there's no, there was no limit to it. it. They even spied on U.S. representatives. Well, and you also have the U.S. media relying on this company, which we now know was working with the CIA. So, for example, last summer, in an effort to smear Assange and portray him as a Russian agent, you had this supposed blockbuster uh, CNN report claiming or suggesting to show uh, evidence of Assange working in conjunction with Russian hackers during the summer of 2016 to undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign. In stunning new detail, hundreds of security reports, videos, and photos obtained exclusively by CNN and verified by an Ecuadorian intelligence official describe how Assange released stolen Democratic emails directly from the embassy and who he met with, world-class hackers and Russians tied to the Kremlin. And now we know that this was selectively leaked to CNN by this company that was working with the CIA. The way it was portrayed was totally disingenuous, and we covered that here on Pushback. But now we even know that elements of the U.S. media have been relying on essentially a CIA operation to do stories, basically doing the targeting of Assange along with the CIA. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, actually, James Risen at The Intercept uh, used that absurd, false, planted CIA story uh, as the basis for like a blog post arguing that Russiagate should be reopened because um, there's this bombshell story in CNN which shows that Assange was operate using the embassy in London as a hacker operations room and working with Russian intelligence. Um, and the dead giveaway that it was a false story was that Ecuadorian intelligence had provided this information um, when in fact UC Global, as I explained clearly in this story, had subverted their contract with Ecuadorian intelligence so that they didn't know about the spying on Assange. Um, I mean, it's one of the most remarkable spying operations I've known about. And th this isn't the only story. I mean, there are just reams of false stories about Assange that the, these court files just solidly discredit. I don't know how The Intercept doesn't look at that piece and retract it um, because it's, it's, it's not only false, it's extremely 
dangerous. What we have here is a titanic abuse of power by the CIA. I mean, that looks pretty obvious by Mike Pompeo's CIA. We have evidence of criminal activity. Uh, for example, besides the other robbery, the alleged robbery I described, we have the targeting of Assange's lawyer, Baltasar Garcon, uh, who was constantly followed by UC Global. Uh, but we have witness testimony, which I reveal in this story, uh, by company employees who said that David Morales proposed robbing Garcon's offices in order to get all their files about defending Assange, and that two weeks after he proposed that, three men wearing hoods broke into those offices and stole no money or valuables and shuffled through files. This was reported in Spanish mainstream media that that took place. So we're talking about criminality. We're talking about abuse of power, um, dirty tricks. As Mike Pompeo bragged at Texas A&M last year, uh, I was a CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we stole. And he, I'm sure he was referring directly to this operation. When I was a cadet, What's the first, what's the cadet motto at West Point? You will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. Mm. I, I, I was the CIA director. We lied, we cheated, we steal, stole. It's, it's like, we, we, had, we, had entire, we had entire training courses. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it reminds you of the, uh, uh, the glory of the American experiment. This should invalidate the US indictment and prevent the extradition of Julian Assange to the United States. It, it just completely explodes any validity that that indictment has. And so all of these stories now need to be investigated. And if there was a decent media culture with editors who cared, they would actually start retracting some of these stories and holding the journalists accountable. Uh, but we still have Luke Harding uh, on the Guardian staff, and I think he's the main person responsible for the false story that Paul Manafort went to the embassy in London to meet with Julian Assange. I mean, this is, it's just a 100% false story that's still on the Guardian website. And I think Luke Harding still has a job. Um, beyond that, this story should generate congressional investigation. It should be picked up by the New York Times and the Washington Post. But the New York Times, when it kind of lightly covered Adelson's role in all of this, um, it said, it, they, they wrote, it is not clear what role the Americans played or American intelligence played in the operation. It's pretty damn clear. And if you actually quoted witness testimony, people who are a part of the operation, they were very explicit about the role of American intelligence. So today we have Mike Pompeo being criticized because um, he fired on Trump's behalf some kind of inspector general within the State Department. Yeah, that's bad. It's, it's a scandal. This is a much bigger scandal. This is about the CIA spying on Americans, including American journalists, lawyers, uh, you, know, public, uh, per, you know, public celebrities, uh, all to take down a journalist who is not an American citizen. I don't know why uh, this story is not going, I mean, oh, I do know why. I, I, I can tell you exactly why, and you can, you can tell me why, Aaron, why uh, this story doesn't have more mainstream legs or why there isn't one Democrat in the Democrat-controlled Congress who's willing to take this up and call for an investigation of Pompeo. I mean, you can tell me why right now.
Well, the attack on Assange is firmly bipartisan, exemplified to me by the fact that the symbol of Trump's resistance for three years, Robert Mueller, when he was asked whether he agreed with Mike Pompeo that WikiLeaks is a hostile non-state intelligence service, Mueller at his July 2019 hearing emphatically said yes. You would agree with Mr. Director Pompeo, that's when he, what he was when he made that remark, that it's a hostile intelligence service, correct? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it, the Democrats hate Julian Assange, uh, arguably, more than the Republicans do. At least uh, a lot of the Republicans uh, who are you know, part of Donald Trump's base. And it's, it all relates to the hacking of the DNC or the alleged hacking of the DNC. So we can't really investigate Mike Pompeo for possibly the most uh, criminal, odious activity that he has one of the most odious activities he's committed uh, when he was CIA director. There's, there's just no, act, no action in Congress right now. Right, look, and speaking of the alleged hacking of the DNC, well, we recently got a huge development on that front that undermines the official story with this newly released testimony from the CrowdStrike president, Sean Henry, telling Congress that actually CrowdStrike had no evidence that alleged Russian hackers actually exfiltrated anything from the DNC mail server which would track exactly with what Assange has said, which is that state actors, including maybe Russians, may have hacked into the DNC server, but, but those are separate from who provided the DNC emails to WikiLeaks, and he said that that was not from the Russian government or any other government. Has at least one state actor hacked the DNC? Uh, probably. Uh, now, this is a separate question to the release of our emails. So in the US media, there's been a deliberate conflation between DNC leaks, which is what we've been publishing, and DNC hacks of the US Democratic Party, uh, which have occurred over the last two years, by their own admission, uh, a number of times. And speaking of vindicating Assange, he was warning for a long time that he was being spied on inside the embassy. And some people dismissed that as paranoid, and even some Ecuadorian officials didn't believe him. But you spoke to some, Max, who now say that he was right. Yeah, and first of all, to your point about um, you know, CrowdStrike and Russiagate, the, the Russiagate narrative in general, the reason that Mueller was compelled to identify WikiLeaks as a hostile foreign intelligence operation and to validate Mike Pompeo's statement was to invalidate Julian Assange as a witness in Russiagate. He was never called as a witness. He was never interviewed. Uh, and this is the person who would have known who provided him the DNC emails. Um, and absolutely, I mean, speaking to Julian Assange's lawyer, Aitor Martinez, he told me that Julian would say, we're being spied on, um, you know, those guys who are providing security aren't really security guards, they're actually spies. And Aitor I said, he said to him at the time, you know, those guys are from um, Jerez, where I'm from in southern Spain, they're just working class guys. And now I realize Julian was so right. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the Ecuadorian diplomats who were spied on as well realized the same thing. And I mean, I don't know how you could not believe he was being spied on. The embassy was just under siege uh, as so many visitors to it described to me, the embassy was under siege at the time. Stefania Morizzi, who was at the time a 
reporting for La Repubblica, um, you know, said that after having her phone seized and her backpack taken um, and being assured that they wouldn't open anything, that it was all secure, um, she started to find that it, she wasn't receiving any emails or texts or phone calls from her editors. And her editors would call her and say, we've been trying to reach you for days. What happened? And she said, I'm not receiving anything. Um, I was also, I mean, I've been told, you know, just subsequent to publishing this piece by people who were lawyers for Assange or were close to him, that they had experienced very strange robberies of their phones over the years. Um, so this campaign has been going on for a long time. And I think we're going to be learning a lot more and I'm hopefully going to be reporting a lot more um, about what is emerging from this Spanish court. And it will highlight a titanic abuse of power by the Central Intelligence Agency under the watch of Mike Pompeo and possibly by his successor. Well, we look forward to that. And, you know, I want to make a final point about media retractions, which are in order given the central role of the CIA in so many of the stories about Julian Assange, um, which is that it's so striking to me and so pathetically symbolic when it comes to Russiagate, which that for the last three years, during the very time when, you know, MSNBC and CNN and all these pundits are coming up with theories about how the Trump administration secretly conspired with WikiLeaks through back channels like Roger Stone and Randy Credico and possibly even involving Russian oligarchs. In reality, the U.S. is using an American oligarch to spy on Julian Assange and people like Randy Credico. And now that that gets revealed, it just gets completely ignored. You couldn't have said it better. And, you know, and it's not as if this oligarch is someone who, you know, mainstream media or, you know, people who've been reporting Russiagate who tend to be Democrats and liberals are favorably predisposed to. I mean, this is the Trump administration. This is Trump. This, this, this is this is pure Trump. This is Trump world in action. This all started in January 2017, um, at least this component of the operation. And yet they can't bring themselves to really generate any interest or outrage about it. All right. Well, the article by Max Blumenthal is up at thegrayzone.com. We'll link to it under this segment. Max Blumenthal, editor of The Gray Zone, author of The Management of Savagery. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Aaron.